It goes without saying that scary things sometimes happen around St. Louis. In the early 1980s, residents of a small town just west of the city found out just how scary things could get. There were no monsters, ghosts, or vampires that plagued the small, isolated community just off what used to be Old Route 66, but what happened was terrifying just the same. The horrifying events went on for several years and came to an end in 1992 when the entire town vanished without a trace. The name of that town was Times Beach. It had started in 1925 as a promotion for the St. Louis Star-Times newspaper. Someone in the advertising department at the newspaper came up with this idea, but the hardest part of the story to believe is that their bosses went along with it. They gave away building plots in a brand new town that was named for the newspaper if you bought a six-month subscription to the paper. And no, I'm not making this up. The Star-Times bought 480 acres of floodplain along the Merrimack River and then embarked on a scheme to raise the circulation rates for the paper. All you had to do was spend $67.50 on a six-month newspaper subscription and you received a building plot for free. There was only one small glitch. To use the property or build a house on it, you were required to buy a second adjoining plot to go along with it. Believe it or not, there were a lot of takers. It was a great location for summer homes and a lot of people from St. Louis looking to escape from the city heat built cottages in Times Beach. By 1930, residents were building more substantial homes, and the place changed from a resort to a real community. This, along with the growing business district, gave the town a feeling of real stability in the early 1930s. But the Depression, followed by gas rationing during World War II, took its toll on Times Beach. As summer cottages became impractical, many of the houses in town were sold off or simply abandoned. The town deteriorated into a low-income community of mobile homes and crumbling buildings. Not much happened in Times Beach over the next few decades. The town slowly fell apart. People lived and died, and the world just seemed to pass it by. In the 1970s, the streets had still not been paved. In hopes of revitalizing the place, the community hired a waste hauler to blacktop the streets in town with oil. It wasn't much, but it gave Times Beach some home for the future. And then came the bad news. In 1982, an investigative reporter discovered a link between the waste hauler who had oiled the streets in town and the deaths of dozens of horses at a stable where he'd also done the same kind of work. It turned out that the roads had been blacktopped using waste oil from a plant in Verona, Missouri, a plant that had produced the chemical weapon known as Agent Orange for the military during the Vietnam War. The waste from the plant contained levels of dioxin that were 2,000 times higher than the poisonous content of the Agent Orange that had been used to defoliate the jungles of Southeast Asia during the war, and it had been sprayed all over Times Beach. The investigation was followed by one launched by the Environmental Protection Agency, and soon stories appeared in the press about the terrifying levels of dioxin that had been found in the soil of Times Beach. Needless to say, panic spread through the town, and every illness, every miscarriage, and every animal death was attributed rightly or wrongly, to the dioxin. On December 5, 1982, Times Beach was evacuated because of the worst flooding in the town's history, but EPA officials used the evacuation to issue a warning. If you are in town, it is advisable for you to leave, they said. If you're out of town, do not return. In a matter of days, the once unknown town of Times Beach, Missouri, was making national news as a grim example of deadly environmental poisoning. By 1985, the mandatory evacuation had been completed and the town site had been quarantined. The empty town, left untouched since the day the population walked away, remained as a ghost town along the interstate until 1992 when it was finally demolished. All traces of Times Beach, aside from the memories, have since been obliterated. It's simply no more. 
The story of Times Beach is more than just a ghost story. It's a modern-day tale of terror about what happens when our own creations, in this case a deadly poison, get wildly out of control. Which brings us to another eerie example of what happens when legends and lore overwhelm reality, and they also spin out of control and become something larger than life. Lawler Ford Road was once a busy roadway that connected the western edge of St. Louis with the countryside. But all that changed in the 1950s when it became a popular makeout spot for teenagers and acquired its reputation for being haunted. But all it took was a few urban legends to change all that, and a secluded roadway soon became a hangout for ghosts, monsters, murderers, and Satanists, and acquired a new nickname, Zombie Road, one of the most sinister places in St. Louis. Welcome to the latest episode of American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, legends, and lore of America's past. Hosted by Cody Beck and Troy Taylor, our second season explores the history, mystery, and hauntings of St. Louis, Missouri, the most haunted city along the Mississippi River. The city of St. Louis has always been unlike other American cities. It's a large, sprawling region of suburbs and interconnected towns that make up the metropolitan area, making it impossible to live in if you don't own an automobile. With the Mississippi River as the eastern border of St. Louis, the settlers who came here originally had nowhere to go but to the west, and the city expanded in that direction. After all these years, and despite the amount of construction and development that has occurred, once you leave the western suburbs of St. Louis, you enter a rugged and wild region that is marked with rivers, forests, caves, and all kinds of assorted oddities like Times Beach and, of course, Zombie Road. Zombie Road, a name by which it has been known as from as far back as the 1950s, isn't far from where Times Beach used to be. The dirt and gravel road, which was paved at some point years ago but is now mostly impassable by car, was listed as Lawler Ford Road on most maps after it was built in the 1860s. The road was initially excavated to provide access to the Merrimack River and to the railroad tracks that ran along it. In 1868, the Glencoe Marble Company was formed to work the limestone deposits nearby. A railroad sidetrack was laid from the limestone deposits to the town of Glencoe, crossing the property of a man named James E. Yateman. The Pacific Railroad sidetrack switched off the main line at Yateman Junction and at the same location, Lawler Ford Road ended at the river. There's no record as to where the name Lawler came from, but there was a ford that crossed the river at this point into land that once belonged to the Lewis family. At times, a boat was used to ferry people across the river, which explains why the road was built at this location. As times passed, the narrow road began to be used by trucks that hauled quarry from rail cars and later fell into disuse. Those who recall when the road was widely in use have eerie memories of it. The narrow, winding roadway ran two miles through dense woods. 
There always seemed to be shadows there, they said, even on the brightest days. It was always impossible to see past the trees to know what was coming around the next curve. If you met another car going in the opposite direction, the road was so narrow you had to back up to a wide spot in the road so one of you could pass. Even those who didn't believe in ghosts could admit that Lawler Ford Road was a spooky place. But how did it become known as the most haunted roadway in the St. Louis area? Well, there are a lot of ingredients in that urban legend soup. First off, it was secluded in the deep, dark woods. And when it fell into disrepair and was abandoned, it became the perfect teenager hangout for parties and as a local lover's lane. That's usually where the stories begin. After a few years of beer drinking and parties, a lot of weird tales started to spread from the standard tales of murdered boyfriends and madmen with hooks to accounts of a local killer called the zombie. He allegedly lived in an old track by the river and would attack young lovers who ventured down the road looking for a quiet space for a rendezvous. The killer story was told and retold, and as far as I can tell, this is where the new name for the roadway came from. Lawler Ford Road was mostly forgotten and was replaced with the new moniker of Zombie Road. There were a lot of other stories, too. There were ghostly apparitions seen in the woods and visitors who wandered off the road one day and were never seen again. There are stories about a man killed by a train near the road in the 1970s and who appears to trespassers now, covered in blood. There are stories of a mysterious old woman who yells at passersby from a house at the end of the road, and those who encountered the old woman often returned to the scene later to discover the house had vanished and had never actually been there at all. There's another legend about a boy who fell from the bluffs along the river and his body was never found. Since that time, his soaking wet ghost has been spotted near the road. There are also tales of vanishing Civil War-era soldiers, spirits of Native Americans, figures in black robes, and escaped mental patients looking for teenagers to kill. But is there any truth to any of these tales, or at least historical events, that might explain how the ghost stories got started? Or are all the stories simply wild tales that have been blown out of proportion over the years? Believe it or not, and as crazy as a lot of it sounds, there may just be a kernel of truth to at least some of the legends of Zombie Road. Near the old road was once an unincorporated town called Glencoe. It was the first settlement in the immediate area, later turned into mostly summer cottages along the river, and eventually was absorbed into the larger town of Wildwood. But in the 19th century, it was a bustling railroad and quarry community. Even before that, Native American tribes mined the flint quarries for stone to make scrapers, weapon points, and stone tools. They hunted and fished the region and used the river ford to travel across the Merrimack River toward the St. Louis settlement. And they were not alone. Hunters, traders, explorers, and settlers also passed through Glencoe, but the Native Americans called it home. They left behind many traces of their settlements. Could they have left behind traces of themselves too? Is this the reason why sightings of Native American spirits have been so prevalent along Lawler Ford Road? Since the shallow point in the river at the end of the road made such a convenient crossing spot, the road was likely built over an existing Indian trail. Native Americans likely used that trail for a century or more before white settlers moved into the region. Perhaps their years of occupation left a memory behind that continues to repeat itself today. The first settler at Glencoe was Ninian Hamilton from Kentucky. He got a land grant in 1800 and built a home and a trading post and became one of the wealthiest and influential men of the period. There was a simple reason for this. The only road through the area went right by his front door. 
In those days, the Merrimack River bottoms were thick with trees and made up of sharp hills and steep bluffs. The river flooded frequently, and there were no bridges or ferries back then. The trappers and traders who traveled west from St. Louis followed a trail that later became Manchester Road. It skirted the Merrimack, but was high enough to not be affected by flooding. The well-used trail passed directly by Hamilton's trading post, and he made money off every traveler who passed. Another settler who arrived in the area, Henry McCullough, also came from Kentucky and started a tannery and shoemaking business nearby. McCullough went on to serve as a justice of the peace for about 30 years and as a county judge from 1849 to 1852. He was married three times before he died, and one of his wives was Della Hamilton, sister of Ninian Hamilton. She was killed in 1876 after being struck by a railroad car on the spur line near Lawler Ford Road. It's been suggested that the death of Della Hamilton McCullough may have been the source of one of the great legends of Zombie Road. See, there's a story that tells of a ghost woman who wanders a stretch of trail near the old railroad tracks. The moaning, seemingly grief-stricken phantom wearing a 19th century dress stumbles along the path and then abruptly disappears if anyone approaches her. There is no record of anyone else ever being struck by a train at this spot, only the unfortunate Della. It seems that she has never left the place where she died. The railroads had actually reached Glencoe back in 1853, and one of the first passengers to make the trip by rail west from St. Louis was James E. Yateman. He was one of the city's leading businessmen, founder of the Mercantile Library, president of the Merchants Bank, and the leader of a group that had tried to make St. Louis the east-west hub of all of the railroads in the country. He was active in both business and charitable affairs in St. Louis and was a major force behind the Western Sanitary Commission during the Civil War. This large volunteer group provided hospital boats, medical services, and medical care for the wounded on both sides of the conflict. Yeaman became the owner of the land that had once belonged to Ninian Hamilton, and he built a large home for himself there that he called Glencoe Park. He also played host to a best-selling author named Winston Churchill, not the British Prime Minister, but the American writer, who published a number of popular novels in the early 1900s. One of them, called The Crisis, was set at Glencoe, and a number of real-life residents, including James Yateman, became characters in the book. It was a bestseller in 1901, and, well, if you look hard, copies can still be found on dusty shelves and used in antiquarian bookstores today. During the Civil War, the city of St. Louis found itself in the predicament of being loyal to the Union in a state that was predominantly dedicated to the Confederate cause. For this reason, men who were part of what was called the Home Guard were picketed along the roads and trails leading into the city with instructions to turn back Southern sympathizers by any means necessary. As a result, Confederate spies, saboteurs, and agents often had to find less trafficked paths to get in and out of the St. Louis area. And one of the lesser-known trails that led to and from the city was across the ford at the Merrimack River near Glencoe. That's right, Lawler Ford Road. As word reached out about the river ford and trail, leaders of the Home Guard began stationing troops in the nearby woods, making the river difficult to cross. However, there were so few places to cross the Merrimack then that many attempts were made leading to skirmishes and murders along the trail. The stories say that many men died, so could this explain some of the hauntings that now occur along Zombie Road? In addition to sightings of men in Civil War era uniforms, many who have hiked along the old trail claim to experience the unsettling feeling of being watched. They also tell of eerie sounds, shouts, cries, and even footsteps stomping in the woods when no one is present. Some say they've been followed along the trail. They hear someone keeping pace with them in the trees and brush, and yet no one is there. Others say they have seen shapes and shadows in the woods hiding among the trees. These unsettling presences are often mistaken for living people until the hiker tries to confront them and no one is there. 
Could all of this be caused by the violence and bloodshed of the Civil War in this place? Did it leave an impression behind that's still being experienced today? Visitors to Lollerford Road these days often in their journey at the Merrimack River. The banks of the river have also played an important part in the legends of Zombie Road. It was here at what was called Yateman Junction that one of the first large-scale gravel operations on the Merrimack River began in the 1850s. Gravel was taken from the banks of the river and moved to rail cars, which hauled it to St. Louis. Later, steam and gasoline dredges were used to extract the gravel and created artificial lakes along the south bank. This went on until the 1970s when the industry died out and the last railroad tracks were removed from around Glencoe. Were the railroads also a source for the hauntings that allegedly occur around Zombie Road? In addition to the wandering spirit of Della McCullough, there are other restless ghosts believed connected to accidents along the tracks. There are no records of anyone else walking in front of a train, like Della did, but the sharp bends in the track caused frequent derailments and accidents. Men were killed and some say their spirits linger nearby too. This is undoubtedly another reason why the area got such a reputation for tragedy and for the hauntings that often follow in tragedy's wake. And what of some of the other haunts? like the strange experiences that were connected to the old shacks and ramshackle houses that were located along the beach area at the end of the trail. There's the already mentioned story of the old woman who yells at passerby from the doorway to a house that burned down many years ago, but there are others. Strange lights appear in windows and laughter and voices and music have been reported coming from behind curtains that, when opened, reveal dark and empty homes. The old cottages dated back as far as 1900 when Glencoe, like Times Beach a few years later, was part of the Merrimack River Clubhouse era. People from St. Louis built summer cottages along the riverbanks as a place to escape from the city heat and relax. This era lasted only until about 1945. After that, many of the cottages were converted to year-round residences, while others, like those along Zombie Road, were left to decay and deteriorate in the woods. This is the origin of the old houses on Zombie Road, but why are they haunted? Are the ghosts here spectral former residents of days gone by? Perhaps this particular haunting has nothing to do with the violence and death of the past, but rather exists as a lingering memory of the good times when this was part of a resort community. Perhaps the mysterious old woman who yells at passerby was an eccentric lady that the residents of the 1930s regarded as nothing more than a harmless old crank. Perhaps the music and laughter heard coming from the abandoned houses is all that remains of an era that still hasn't ended during a time and a place that's not our own. Or perhaps those residents of yesterday simply didn't want to leave a place where they were happy. Their spirits returned to a summer cottage after death, hoping to recapture a better and more innocent time. I guess we'll never know. Whatever the reason for the reputation of the road, it is a strange place. When I first began digging into the history of Lollerford Road, I confessed to believing that Zombie Road was nothing more than an urban legend run amok, created by the vivid imaginations of several generations of teenagers. I never expected to discover the history of violence and death that has marked the region, or anything that might substantiate the tales of ghosts and supernatural occurrences along this old road through the woods. It was easy for me to find people who believed in the legends of Zombie Road, but I never expected to be one of those who came to be convinced that something truly strange just might be taking place there after all. Am I convinced that all of the stories of Zombie Road are true? No. But I can admit that I don't have all the answers when it comes to one of St. Louis's 
strangest spots. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language? And I don't mean like spells or incantations to trap spirits, you weirdos. I mean like a new language that could help you start communicating with more people on this plane today. Then I need to tell you about Rosetta Stone. Look, you know the brand, you know the name. They have the expertise and a 30-year legacy, which makes them more qualified than ever to help you learn a new language today. They've helped millions of people build the fluency and confidence to speak new languages. Now, this is the part where Troy would tell me that I made some kind of grammatical error, but he's not here right now, so like, I don't know, it's like speaking tongues. Rosetta Stone focuses on speaking practice for real-life scenarios to get you ready for real conversations with real people. Or maybe you can even learn how to use some different types of Ouija boards. I don't know. Either way, Rosetta Stone can help you learn faster and retain your new language better. Honestly, Rosetta Stone really would have come in handy for season four of New Orleans because I know we butchered some of those French names and I apologize once again. Now you all know I have a nine to five job when I'm not at the podcast factory and Rosetta Stone actually helped me not make a total fool out of myself while I was in Brazil interviewing celebrities. Obrigado. And now I want to help you. So don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, American Hauntings podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Rosetta Stone, how language is learned. Wait, by the way, Troy, like where do words come from? Hey, no, don't, 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 don't walk away. Oh, Troy, where do words don't look so hard to say on paper you know yeah and if you put if i had put in if i had put the word railroad in this paragraph we'd be fucked i'd never get through it for some reason that word sticks me so and i don't know why i have no idea why that episode of the alton one was so hard to get through that underground railroad oh my god um get mush mouth on railroad i guess okay Welcome to American Hauntings Podcast, where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and all things paranormal. You are listening to episode 17, which is the fourth episode of season two, which delves into the hauntings of St. Louis, Missouri. I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me, my co-host is author, historian, crime buff, and founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. Oh, here we go. Here We're we... back another one after braving the... It's been a while. That ...braving the face of the audience in the... Well, that didn't sound good, but braving the audience... At our no, live show. I just imagined yes. myself in my underwear, and it was fine. It, it worked out. It was, it was actually fun. So It was a lot of fun. And they were, you know, all the dollar bills we handed out got them laughing and stuff in all the right places, we so that worked out pretty well. thought we agreed so, not to talk yeah. about that. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was a great time. Thank you, everybody that came to the um, Dead of Winter event. Uh, I had a great time. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. We, had, we, we really were, were pleasantly surprised by how many people came when there was a threat of... 
weather that never materialized. Um, it started freezing raining a little eventually. bit. Yeah, a little bit later, but yeah. you know, overall it was pretty good. So, and we're going to do it again at the Haunted America conference. We're going to do something similar, um, similar, but without the without the the opening monologue part. So we're going to jump right in with. Uh, uh, Luke and Len and some volunteers, and uh, we're going to put something together as a special bonus episode um, at the conference, which at, at the time we're recording this, I should make a note that we are almost now, we are approaching being two-thirds of the way sold out already. That's awesome. Um, we've never had it go quite this fast before. Really? So, uh, yeah, if, if people are thinking, I mean, this is now, now I've gone beyond, I'm no longer just plugging the conference i'm being completely serious yeah. if you are actually thinking of coming you really need to get signed up because i honestly this might be the first year we've done it and uh, maybe ever where we actually have to turn people away at the door uh, because i just i'm not sure we're going to have any room and well where can people buy tickets if they that? just go to uh any any of the websites really will have a link to it but if you go directly to ghostconference.net mm -hmm. that'll take you right to it okay and, awesome. uh, i'll throw it on signed I'll, up. I'll throw it on american Perfect. hauntings podcast yeah, fantastic also so. cool and that'll be june 22nd and 23rd right. in alton so right, in alton. right across the river from the st louis episodes we're doing now i guess really yep. so we'll probably still be in St. Louis in June, I have a feeling. Probably. I, mean, I think we may still be there. We still have a long way to go. There, there's like two stories in particular that I think we might just keep, keep uh, they're going. They're going to be a little long. Yeah, yeah, multiple episode stories coming up for sure. So, so stay tuned. Yeah, So, and, and if you have been enjoying the podcast, and uh, you know, we had a lot of great people who came out to Dead of Winter who, who jumped in and did this. Um, if you have been enjoying the podcast, leave us a review. I know we ask you this every single time, but we, we really uh, appreciate the reviews that you leave uh, for us on iTunes. Uh, I think most people probably listen on iTunes or right through the website, I think. Yeah. And so they can't always, you know, um, if they're listening another way, um, if you've got an iPhone, you can open up your iTunes and just pull it up even if you don't listen to us on there and leave mm -hmm. us a review. Um, doesn't have to be... You don't have to write something out, but I got to tell you that Cody and I do get a special kind of thrill when we do re yes. <laughs> read the things that you write, even if they're not complimentary to us personally. And which we, we probably does happen. We, <laughs> yeah, and, we, so. and we text each other about it. Yeah, so just yeah, know. Yeah. And I mean, that's, we do see them. <laughs> the reviews is what helps people in random you know, Alaska find our podcast. Well, it is. And, that, and that's things the like thing. that. Yeah, and, that's the funny thing about it is you never know how it's going to turn up. And, and I guess the other thing that's that's been funny about it is you know when you see the reviews it's just it's just always fun it yeah. is fun you know it's 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 really and and look at it this way it has helped the podcast For your sure. reviews have because um i think that you can all agree if you're listening right now um it sounds a lot better than it did a few episodes ago yes uh we have been slowly getting our act together but you know what this was never our job <laughs> so this was always supposed to be for fun, and we have turned it. We have this thing is already like ten times more professional than we ever thought it would be. Yep, and that's not saying much because this is a far cry from professional podcasting. You, but you can see the image yeah, of the room exactly. right now. Um, but it, it has it has gotten better. I mean, it, yeah. it has. I think it sounds a lot better, and uh, and that's that's because of your your frequent reviews slash complaints. So yes. that has helped. Yes, so. your shots at my ego have improved this podcast. So <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. Okay, we ready to dive in? I, yeah, I'm ready. Whenever okay, you're ready. So tough one to dive into in a way. It's so. it's different. Um, I yeah. was not familiar with these stories. So overall summary, and I think there's a generation thing. 
before we before we get to before we get to this, um, and I know I mean, I know you like to summarize, but before we get to this, there's a reason why there seems to be a certain generation of people who know this story. Yeah, and um, and those who don't. I mean, if you go way back, you know, to the you know the '50s or the '60s, a lot of people know it because that's when it was really getting its start. But I think that I I have found that most of the people who have come to me uh, originally came to me about Zombie Road was this was back in the late 90s, early 2000s, early to mid 2000s. And it was really a hot story at the time. I mean, a lot of people around St. Louis were talking about it. And everybody who was seemed to be like in their 20s and 30s at the time. Yeah. And um, and so a lot of people are familiar with it. But now you it's faded it faded enough that now, you know, somebody who's now in their 30s like you doesn't really know the story very well because it, it they closed it off. You know, they, they closed off the road and it became so much less accessible. And so the stories just sort of died. But it was but it was one that we I mean, we just couldn't not include it in the St. Louis season. So anyway, that's I think that's explains kind of why you didn't really know the story when I brought it up to you. And then I think then you're you're. Stepdad mentioned so it step, to you. My yeah. stepdad, Steve, did mention it. Yeah. Um, I called him last night and told him we were recording this. Um, also, side note, I am 28, sir. Oh, crap. I forgot about <laughs> no, that. It's so okay. I, for some reason, thought we just crossed the threshold to the Oh, threes, no. You will know. So. Okay. Will oh, yeah. I guess I should have known better. <laughs> yes. So. You will see the drinks and the tears. Um, anyway. Okay. So, uh, to sum it up, in 1925. I wondered about that look. Yeah. Cody's sister, Cassidy, is here. Lisa and Lux are here, too. But... I, I saw you look over at Cassidy, and I thought, uh-oh, did I step on something could, right there? I or? could feel her staring at me to be like, are you going to let that... Uh... Yeah, that age. Yes. All, All right. right. Okay, summarize. All right, so in 1925, a newspaper gives away land in a place called Times Beach, which is named for the newspaper. Uh, roads eventually are paved with poisonous oil, and the town is eventually abandoned. Uh, due yeah, to you didn't know that story either, I did, did you? I yeah, did not. See, that was... And I think, I think maybe we're talking about the same generation as the zombie road stories for the most part see yeah. i remember i remember time Be- times beach i remembered it being on the news mm-hmm. um, and i lived in central illinois at the time but we used to go to six flags every summer like i don't know five six times during the summer yeah would go down and i can still remember right after it happened i mean interstate 44 ran right past times beach i mean you could see it from the highway mm-hmm. and i remember driving by and seeing houses out there that were all abandoned uh, for years after all this happened. But I remember, I distinctly remember driving past, or I wasn't driving, it was riding, so I was still a kid. And we were on our way out to Six Flags, and I remember seeing guys walking around in hazmat suits out there. And I thought, what in the hell? I, what crazy. is this? Yeah, this is, I mean, and, and I had heard the story, but I had, I guess I hadn't put two and two together as to exactly where it was located. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, by the early 90s, it's gone. Yeah. It was just gone. I mean, there's nothing left. It's completely abandoned. So I think that, you know, that sort of story kind of passed you by too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, I was it, not aware it, of it came of too soon for you. And it was at kind of the end of my growing up, which is where a lot of the, you know, legends and everything come from. We get them when we're teenagers and stuff, yeah. you know, and it was long gone. But it was just, it was one of those things that, while it's not ghosts and it's still, it's, it was such an, integral part of that area mm-hmm. and and zombie that i i wanted to include it because 
you know, it's something, a story that gets out of control, of course. spins out of control, yeah. much like Zombie Road. So, Of course, yeah, and we'll, we'll dive into Zombie Road in, in a little bit, too. Um, but I, I know this is not how it went down, but I always, I'm imagining this town as like Silent Hill or something. Yeah, right, no, yeah, that, me that's too. what me I have too. in my yeah. head. Which, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a whole other story, too. I mean, that's a real story, too. I mean, yeah. that's Centralia, yeah, yeah. Pennsylvania, and yeah. it's, it's, it's mine fires. Same kind of thing, though. I mean, it's this industrial, environmental disaster that just, you know, takes over this town. The, the difference in that one is that it's still, um, you know, that town is still sitting there smoldering, right. you know, since the 60s. Times Beach is gone. And, but there is another town in um, Oklahoma that Lisa and I went to uh, a couple of years ago. We were on our way through Oklahoma, and we went to a town called Pitcher, okay. uh, P-I-C-H-E-R. And it's not, you know, like a – it's – Pitcher, Oklahoma, mm -hmm. and uh, named after a guy who had a mine. Again, it's a mining thing. And all of these chemicals from the mines leached into the ground, and they had to abandon the town. So now Crazy. when you go to Pitcher, there are still houses there that are all empty. They're still sitting there, and they've torn a lot of it down in the last few years. But there are all of these houses there in the community, because but they didn't make it a, a mandatory evacuation. It was just a... You know, if you're smart, you're going to leave yeah. because otherwise you're going to end up with cancer and die. But there are still people who refuse to leave. That's crazy. And if you drive through the town, there's all of these. It's very spooky. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's all these empty, like, you know, decent 80s era tract homes, you know, still in, in any other neighborhood. It would be a, a decent kind of suburban right. neighborhood. But there's all these empty, abandoned houses. And then as you're driving along the street... There's one that still has all the lights on, and there's cars in the driveway, and then like kids' toys out in the lawn oh, and that's stuff. Horrible. And knowing that it's sitting on this poison piece of ground where all this stuff has seeped in, and then you drive on, and there's all these empty buildings again, and then there's another house, Jeez. you know. And there's just a handful of people who refuse to leave. And a few years ago, there was still one business operating there. It was a drugstore, like a pharmacy, that oh, was man. still there in town. Everything else had been closed up. Um, but it's the same kind of thing. And, I, and I'm sure there are others out there. This I'm just a personal experience kind of thing. But um, these types of things, I, you know, I'd like to say they don't happen anymore. That, that seems to be something that was, you know, the, back in the Three Mile Island days of the late 70s, early 80s. Right. But then you have Flint, Michigan. Yeah. So, which is the same exact thing. Yeah. You know, usually some sort of, you know neglect or corruption or whatever and in in this case of times beach it was just some people you know a poor community trying to do the best they could and you know let's see if we can fix things up we've got dirt roads it's the 1970s we, we had never paved our streets because mm -hmm. there's no money for it so let's do what we can do and do it the cheapest way possible and hire some clown you know that has waste oil yeah you know doesn't tell them where it comes from and maybe he didn't know that how dangerous it was but, I mean, when you're getting stuff like that from a plant that makes Agent Orange, mm -hmm. that seems like a problem. And the, po the <laughs> poison know? was 2,000 times higher than yeah. that of Agent Orange? Well, I think it was so concentrated in this, the, the waste yeah. oil that they had. It was so concentrated, more so than what you would get when you're defoliating a jungle, yeah. which is bad enough. I mean, Agent Orange know? is brutal. Yeah, I mean, look at all the guys that came home after being exposed to it. So now you've just sprayed it all over the streets of your town mm -hmm. and it's soaking into the ground and into your water supply and you know you could see where people panicked i mean this was a 
time period where stuff like that was starting to come to light. You know, all these years of factories and industries who, you know, had not been regulated in any way. You had like the Love Canal in Ohio mm -hmm. and all these, these horrible pollution, you know, things that had happened. And this became like a, like a test case for the whole country is, you know, here's this little town that has been poisoned. You know, and it was I mean, it was national news. I remember when all that was going on. Where was Aaron Brockovich? Yeah, <laughs> right, needed, right, right, exactly. See, <laughs> uh, okay, so that's I mean that's a crazy story. Um, but then Zombie Road, a little different. Um, actually called Lawler Ford Road, uh, creepy road goes through the woods. Has a lot of crazy tales about ghostly apparitions in the woods. Um, Pretty much everything. People killed by trains. Yeah, old women that kind of disappear. People falling from bluffs. Old soldiers, Native Americans, escape mental patients, you name it. It's it really does run the gamut. Oh of, yeah, absolutely. Like the traditional kind yeah, of ghost. It's every it's every parking spot, you yeah. know, for, for teenagers. They they have every story. Do they know? come up with these things at these lovers' lanes to like try and deter kids That's, from like, that would be sex? that would be my guess. I, I'm not sure. There's gotta be a you know, some sort of societal anthropological explanation yeah. to these stories. You know, um, because I mean I remember and I remember being, you know, the weird kid at everybody's cookout. No, all no I know, way. I know, it's hard to believe that. I would always tell the story about the the boyfriend, uh, the murdered boyfriend, and, and this was one of those stories where the girl, you know, they, they go out parking, and of course they, you know, run out, run of, out gas, of gas, in yeah. air quotes there, but, and then they really did run out of gas. So the boyfriend says, hey, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to go walk down, get a gas can, get some gas, and I'll be back. Just just don't get out of the car. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever you do, we're in the middle of nowhere here. So off he goes, and she's there sitting alone for a little while, and the wind's blowing, and it's a dark and spooky night, and she keeps hearing this, you know, scratching sound on the on the top of the roof. And, mm -hmm. you know, it just keeps going and just keeps going, and, and she thinks, oh, you know, I, is that a tree branch or, you know, what's going on? I'm, I'm afraid to look. I don't want to go out and look. You know, he told me to stay in the car, and... Eventually, she falls asleep, and the next morning, she wakes up, it's light, and there's police cars outside, and uh, she realizes her boyfriend has never come back to the car, and uh, so she starts to get out of the car, and deputy sheriff comes up, grabs a hold of her, he says, oh, you know, come on, get out of the car, but whatever you do, don't turn around, don't turn around, don't look back, and then so she, of course, turns and looks back and sees that her boyfriend is dead, and he's hanging upside down from the tree, and his hands are brushing the top of the car and that was the noise that she heard the night before right right and or you know that's one of the variations of the story and of course then there's the hook story mm -hmm. of you know that the, they go out parking and they hear on the radio there's an escaped madman has gotten out of the asylum and you know you'll i know be able to identify him find because he's got a hook for a hand because mm -hmm. that seems logical i mean you're going to put a guy a homicidal killer in the insane asylum right and leave him with his hook well he was okay. a pirate so yeah, <laughs> right yeah it. So he escapes, and they, you know, in a, so she's, oh, you know, I'm, I'm scared. We need to go. And the boyfriend says, oh, you know, well, well, let's, you know, we don't need to leave. We don't need to leave. Yeah. And so finally, she insists they leave. So he gets mad and he speeds off in the car. And uh, then when they get home, and he walks around to open up the car door for her, and he faints on the in the yard. And she gets out and realizes there's a, hook dangling from the door. I mean, that's, you know, it's, these it's are these dumb, urban legends from Yeah, Georgia. these great stories <laughs> yeah. that, you know, and there, there were fun stories, and it's the kind of stuff you tell around the campfire, but 
you know, nobody takes them seriously unless, of course, you're on Zombie Road. But, and, of course, every one of those stories is true because, listen, when I started digging into this story and started hearing from people about, you know, oh, I had to go check out Zombie Road. Oh, I had to find out because I was living mm-hmm. in Alton at the time. and You've got to go out and check out Zombie Road. And so I start collecting these stories, and I'm thinking, okay, these are the stories I was telling in eighth grade. Right. I mean, these can't possibly and be they true. they all happened here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All in this spot, you know, so... That's kind of what piqued my interest in it in the first place. Right, and there's actually a video, um, a Fox 2 video I found on YouTube, and it, it's uh, called Zombie Road in Wildwood Producing More Fines Than Fears. So police wrote 80 tickets in mm-hmm. 2011 for mm-hmm. people trespassing. And so, Which is when it died out. Really, yeah, yeah. They were they were mad. They're like, I came here to see a ghost, and uh-huh. I got a fine. Right. Well, I think the people who lived in the neighborhood by then had had enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also know there was another documentary done yes. uh, a couple of years before that, um, which is... Children of the Grave. Yeah, don't remind me, because oh, so, I'm in it. Oh, um, you're, I yeah. would not pay three ninety nine to watch it last night? Yeah, well, you didn't miss I anything. Um, but yeah, I'm not in the zombie road part, but I'm in uh, some other parts of oh, that. Oh, random. Um, but the uh, the zombie road part is... Takes all of those. Well, it, it first of all, it hires. It has a bunch of people who are actually actors pretending to be people who lived in the area around Zombie Road, nice. telling stories. Classic. And yeah, and it's it's full of a lot of nonsense. I mean, it pretty much takes every urban legend and and prints, you know shows it is true. And it's yeah, it was it was discouraging um, the way that it, that it was handled. Um, and I think there's probably some decent stuff in it, but. That really sort of inflated the interest in the area, at least yeah. somewhat. And that's when I think the neighbors finally said, okay, you know, that's enough. Right. And so they had the cops out there writing tickets. And that's kind of what killed the story. I mean, that's been, you know, seven, eight years ago now. Mm-hmm. And I think that that sort of just killed it and why it kind of passed or flew right under your radar. Right. You know? Right. But there, so, but there were some stories that have at least a little bit of merit. So Della Hamilton McCullough. McCullough. Yeah. So she was, there was a woman killed by a train. Right. Right. Uh, right, right. Well, that, that was kind of, I, well, I, you know, I had all these stories and I wanted to see, you know, nobody had really looked much into the, the actual history. Mm-hmm. Just, there were just all these stories. Right. So, I started digging into it, and you know, I'm I'm not the only one. Other people have too, but I started digging into a lot of the history to find as much of it as I could. Yeah, and finding that, you know, is she the source of the story? I don't know, but there seemed to be at least some some truth to some of it. Mm-hmm. At least the sources for the story. So if you could say, okay, people are seeing the ghosts of Native Americans in the woods here, you know. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but they say they are. So could there be a reason for this? Well, yeah. I mean, this was a heavily trafficked area for Native Americans. They lived here, they hunted here, they fished here, they mined the, the quarries for, you know, flint for arrows and that kind of thing. So yeah. there were a lot of Native Americans here. You know, people said they saw ghosts of Civil War soldiers. Well, could there be Civil War soldiers? Yeah, because this was a road that was used for people to go in and out of St. Louis fairly secretly, mm-hmm. and they started stationing soldiers in the woods, and there were a lot of skirmishes that took place there in that area. So, yeah, people have died there. There have been, uh, there's been a lot of violence there. The, you know, the, the railroad, like, as you mentioned, Della McCullough, you know, was hit by a train, whether it was on purpose or an accident. I don't know how you don't see a train coming when it's not coming very I fast. I never understand Exactly. That. So, you know, she was hit by a train and she died. And is that, 
one of the ghosts who haunts there? Well, maybe. She's the only person I could find a record of that stepped in front of a train. Um, there, although there were plenty of railroad accidents that took place along mm-hmm. there because so the, the it, cars would derail. Yeah, something? well, it's a, it was a it was a curve. There was a sharp curve, and if they came at any kind of speed, you know, earlier days of the railroads, they, you know, you're filled with unstable quarry rock, mm-hmm. you know, which can shift or move. However, throws things off balance, cars fall over, um, and it happened quite a bit apparently. Um, so there were plenty of reasons why this stuff could happen. So there's that. Now, can I tell you that these stories are all true? No. Um, could there be some stories and that's how it got started? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, because there's there's certainly a reason for it to be haunted, whether or not it is, you know, I guess, like I said, the jury's out. I mean, I can't tell you for a fact either way because I've never seen anything there. I've mm-hmm. been there a few times and never saw anything myself, but I could see where stories could get started because it, it was at least back in the early 2000s it was a creepy stretch of woods mm-hmm. uh i mean you know um but you know that was the era of the blair witch right. so everything so all every wood creepy. seemed creepy yeah. and every stretch of woods seemed creepy then yeah and i was i was uh, searching for stuff about this and i randomly found an article from stl magazine um and it quoted you and i think it's important um, I wanted to note this because I think this is this is why I wanted to work with you specifically. And it says it says real life ghost hunters like Troy Taylor, however, have developed uh, have delved deeper. You said I'm an optimistic skeptic, <laughs> uh, says Taylor, who's written more than a hundred books on hauntings, history, crime, and the unexplained. I like to think these stories are true, but I approach them from a historical basis. But Taylor found a record of a mental asylum and nearest orphanage was miles away. Yeah, I just I really like your approach to these things, and I think that's why we get along so well. Um, and because I, I appreciate that you do. Your research on these things, so like you said, people had the stories, but they didn't dive into history. And most people are like, well, we have a story. Why else well, would right, I? Well, sure, why sure. I and you know, and, and the thing about this is, this is not one of those. This is not one of those stories where, you know, you need for most people mm-hmm. when they hear it, they just want to hear the 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 thrills and chills yeah. side of the story. This isn't like the, you know, this isn't like people concocting things about the limp family and you know and the monkey boy which we'll get to that oh, but um this is which is just a blatant lie yeah. you know and yet people will tell it and retell it and then people will accept it as true mm-hmm. when it's not this is a case of where people aren't telling these stories like i need you to believe me mm-hmm. i'm telling you a story of i was out there and man I, that was scary you know and yeah. I, I you know i went out there i saw something in the woods Okay, well, maybe you did. Yeah. You know, it could have been a deer, but maybe maybe it was a ghost. Who knows? Right. But people didn't tell this story, this particular story, because it needed to have some kind of historical accuracy. I, I have done everything I can to make this story boring. I mean, let's be <laughs> honest. I mean, right. all I did was go dig up all of the history and facts behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, for most people, they don't want to read this. So you just and ruined all their fun. I just ruined all their fun. And I, and I get that. I, and I totally understand it. It was just, it's one of these stories that we couldn't not include in our St. Louis, you know, season. Yeah. Because it's it's a great St. Louis story, even if it's not a story. Yeah. It's a, this is, this is when, when Cody and I were discussing this ahead of time, one of the things I said to you is, you know, I'm sorry about this story because it's a non-story. It's not, there, there isn't a lot of story here. This really just me trying to dig up something that would justify yeah. the existence of all of these legends. And I have not, as you even noted from that, that STL magazine story, 
um, you know, there, there's no, there was no insane asylum near, you know, Waller Ford Road. There mm-hmm. was no orphanage where these children were supposedly, you know, I mean, because I, we didn't, we didn't even scratch the surface. I mean, there's so many stories about this road, you know, but that stuff didn't exist. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I know I've taken, I've sucked all of the fun out of that story, but that's kind of why we do this, though. Absolutely. I mean, that's yeah. that's kind of the point behind it. We're to, here to ruin your fun. Well, yeah, right. Well, we just wanted to find the story behind the story. So, I mean, and, and the way I ended it is is accurate. I mean, I, what I've said is, here's here's a hundred stories, maybe five of them. There's a historical basis behind mm-hmm. and might be true. So that's five out of a hundred, which really... I mean, that's not great odds, but it's something. Yeah. And uh, it does have some history behind it. It does have some possibility of, of being true. And I suppose that that, you know, can justify it in some way, mm-hmm. I think. At least it does for me, because now I've got something that I thought was complete garbage. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought the story was, there couldn't be a word of truth to any of it. And it turns out that maybe there is at least a little, mm-hmm. you know, at least a little, uh, which kind of gives me hope. For zombie road, you yeah. know. <laughs> no, it, so, did we ever figure out why it's called zombie? Well, road? no. You know, there's that story. I was told that um, there was a story started in the '60s, I think, about a killer they called the zombie who was supposed to be murdering people out okay. there, and you know, lived in a shack out in the woods. I don't know if that's accurate. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't. My guess is that name came even later than that. Yeah, uh, I, that sounds like something from the '80s to me. It, well, you know yeah, what I mean? It's a very wasn't 80s. A popular term until no, Romero, not really, right? right. And so, and even then, you know, even they never used. Well, I don't think did they he even use the word zombie? Well, actually, no. That's what it is. It, didn't use it in the. I don't know. Film. They don't use it in like Walking Dead. They never say zombie. Well, yeah, I'm trying to remember. I know I've heard like when it kind of came about, but it was yeah, a, it was a later yeah, but it was thing. later. And Dawn of the Dead came out in the early 80s, yeah. and that, I think that was the more commercially, although. Really not, but no, a little more commercial than say *Night of the Living Dead*. Although that by then had caught on mm-hmm. pretty big, um, so I don't know. I, I, I really, do. I wish I knew. Such Maybe a... somebody knows. If somebody who's listening to this knows yeah, let us where know. the name came from, or even if you've just heard where the name might have come from, yeah. uh, drop us an email through the um, through the website AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com. Yep, and let us know what you've heard because that that was the only explanation that I'd ever heard. And there may be there may be others. Yeah, yeah, and I, uh, you know, you talk about how if nothing else, there are good stories in here. Um, and I found one actually on a website called Thought Catalog, and it's titled "There's a place in St. Louis called Zombie Road, and you should never go there." And it's like a fiction story, but it's oh, a short yeah, story sure. that's made, but it's great. I'm going to throw it in the show notes just because I think. Um, if nothing else, you know, it's entertaining and it's yeah, fun yeah. Um, and just good urban legend stuff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's I mean, and that's kind of what this this whole. <laughs> episode boiled down to yeah. is, you know, this is an urban legend. Could any of it be true? Maybe, you know, is it mostly true? No, but you know, it's still, it's a part of St. Louis and it's a part of, I guess, really our, our haunted history in St. Louis. So mm-hmm. there you go. So there's your zombie road episode. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, I think that's, that's going to be it. So that's, that's all I, had. <laughs> Honestly, that was my last line. <laughs> So, bef- so before we sign off, uh, we ask people if they have any questions or want to reach out um, about particular stories or you know paranormal stuff to to send us an email, send us a tweet or something. And one of them actually seemed to fit this episode, so I wanted to ask you a little bit more. Can you tell me about some of your favorite urban legends? 
but yeah, I mean, it's the uh, the railroad track thing. My favorite, that's my favorite urban legend, is mm-hmm. the story about the railroad tracks. And there are a zillion of them, and there are variations of it, because sometimes it's railroad tracks, sometimes it's a bridge. Basically, it's the same story. Story always goes is that there was a carload of either kids or teenagers, and in many cases, it's a school bus filled with kids. Okay. And they come to either a bridge or a railroad track. Let's do railroad tracks, okay? Um, and then I'll tell you the bridge version. Mm-hmm. And... So they came to the railroad tracks and, you know, how they're supposed to stop at the railroad tracks. Well, yes. this was before that. And a bus drove onto the tracks, stalled, was hit by a train, and all the kids were killed. Or it's a carload of kids, you know, family, and it gets hit by the train and they all die. That's, everyone has a, basically the same story. Well, the story then goes is that now after all these years have passed, if you take your car to the railroad tracks park on the tracks and then sit and you're with your car in neutral that your car will be pushed off the tracks by the ghosts of the kids who were killed in the accident. Oh, man. And then the story goes then is that you take baby powder and you put it over your back window. And then when you get your car across and you get out, look, you'll see the handprints of the kids. Oh. So there are a lot of these. When I was working on weird Illinois, my goal was to go to every single one in the state. Yeah. And I, I, I found like 19 Bridges or railroad tracks, mm-hmm. all of which were supposed to be absolutely true. Everyone was told to me is the truth. There's a bridge that you roll across, and even though it looks like you're in, you're going uphill, and yet your car will still go. Mm-hmm. And usually it's an optical illusion. It looks like it's uphill, but it's really down, and you'll roll across. Yeah. Um, but there was one in Kankakee that I had gone to because I had some friends who worked in the library there, and they had told me about the ghost tracks in town. So I took my car down. And I parked it the edge of the tracks, made sure there were no trains coming, of course, put baby powder all over the back of the car, and then waited, and the car rolled across. So I got out of the car to take a look, and sure enough, there were handprints all over the back of the car. You should My handprints. Oh. Because the oil, <laughs> the oil in my hands, every time I had closed like the back hatch oh, of the Jeep right. and everything had picked up, had remained on the window, so you put the baby uh-huh. powder on, get in the car, and then you look, and then you'll find handprints. So that's the, that's the trick to uh-huh. all of those stories. But, but, however, there is one railroad track that I did have a weird experience with that I've never quite, I'm, I'm still convinced it's some sort of optical illusion, but I'm not positive mm-hmm. on that. Um, near Mascuda, Illinois, out in the country, there is what's called the Albino Railroad Tracks. Now, there are a couple of versions of the story, but the, the basic story is, is that back in the 1800s, there was a family who had gave, the woman gave birth to albino twins or triplets. I forget which. It's, it's one of those. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Buy a copy of Weird Illinois. It's all in there. Anyway, so the people were, were convinced that this, the, the, you know, the, the, these albino babies were you know, some kind of curse on the community or something. So they tied them to the railroad tracks and let a train run over them. Now, <laughs> oh, God. I know. Chances of this being true are slim to none. But anyway, that's the story. Well, then the story has then that become that the ghosts of the albino children haunt these railroad tracks, and they're not actually trying to push your car off the tracks. They're trying to push your car onto the tracks yeah. because they want revenge because <laughs> of how they were treated. So I like I'd heard this story, and, and so I, I wanted to go check it out and um, went down there and took my car down and uh, parked. And, and, you know, what's what's interesting is that the 
the tracks are gone. They're, they've been taken out years ago. But the, you could still see where the tracks were because there's like a, a rise. You mm-hmm. know, there's like hill there where the railroad tracks right. were where the fill was. So I parked my car at the bottom of the, you know, the tracks about I don't know, 15, 20 feet away from where the tracks were. Uh, you know, put it in neutral. And this car, honestly, rolled, appeared to be uphill onto what was the railroad tracks. Wow. And I tried to figure it out. I, I still don't know exactly what happened what yeah. happened or why. I'm, I'm still convinced it's some sort of optical illusion but because I really don't think there were ghostly albino babies haunting the tracks. But How could babies push it? Well, yeah, see, there you go, right? But it, it's, a, it's still a weird story, yeah. and, uh, and there, are, there are a zillion of them. And that's, that's a variation of the Crybaby Bridge legend, which I didn't make it to every Crybaby Bridge in Illinois um, because there's like, I don't know, 30 of them. I mean, they're, they're all over the country. Yeah. And they're basically the same story is that a woman, you know, threw a baby off a bridge for, and then there's a list of whatever happened, reasons yeah. why it happened. Or, or my favorite is that she, the baby blew out the window. During a storm, that's the one I like. I always think, how exactly does that happen? But anyway, um, and then you go out there in the middle of the night and you hear the baby crying. Okay. So it's 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 still the same kind of story. The bridges are, you know, a bunch of teenagers drove off a bridge in the middle of the night, and now their ghost haunts it and pushes you off the bridge. Or you know, all of these great automobile urban legend stories. I mean, and Zombie Road fits right into that yeah. because. That's, you know, people would go out there in their cars, and that's when all these stories would take place. And even though a lot of those stories were, you know, even date back to before that or the early days when not everybody had cars, the car stories are always the best. Mm -hmm. You know, the the Seven Gates to Hell, for instance, down in the Belleville-Collinsville area of Illinois. Uh, there are seven bridges or underpasses that if you drive through all seven of them in a particular order, that you will be zapped into hell. Now... I have two questions for you. A, right. who would want to do that? Yeah. Okay. But B, how does anybody know that story's true? Because the only person who could have told it would have been the person who drove through the seventh bridge, and they're gone. So, thinking yeah, way too I, much I know. It. It's too much thought, but but I do love those stories, so no, they're, they're, they're always great. And normally I don't like the stories about the ghost kids, but I, something, <laughs> something comical about thinking about these little ghost kids being like, they're pushing another freaking car off these tracks, <laughs> yeah. damn it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Nothing else to do with my time. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's awesome. Well, anyway, we should wrap this up. Yep. So, um, again, everybody, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, leave us a review. Uh, we, we appreciate that, too. And uh, we'll see you at another one of our upcoming events that are coming out, uh, especially our, our live broadcast from the Haunted America Conference. So, anyway, turn it back to you. All right. The American Hauntings Podcast is a way to combine historic record, folklore, science and observation, and imagination to uncover more about America's most haunted places, including St. Louis, Missouri. American Hauntings is a bi-weekly podcast. You can hear new episodes every other Tuesday, so please tune in to hear our latest episode and help us take a brand new look at history and hauntings. You can learn more about our podcast and find new episodes on iTunes by searching for American Hauntings or by going to AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com, where we also have links to some of Troy's books, as well as information about his upcoming ghost tours, events, and haunted happenings. As for your host, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CodyBeckSTL or at CodyBeck.com. Find Troy on Instagram at TroyTaylorGram, on Facebook at the Troy Taylor Author page, or at AmericanHauntings.net. This episode of the podcast was written by Troy Taylor and was produced and edited by me, Cody Beck. Some of the music in this episode was written and recorded by Charlie Brockus at Lighthouse Sounds in Alton, Illinois.